From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus, and today I'm talking to Eli Brigatuso, an artist, photographer, videographer, and activist in the Omaha queer community. There are so many hoops that trans folks have to jump through to get medical care. It's not like they're just doling these things out. If young trans folks are allowed to express who they are, their risk of suicide drops by 40%. Rigatuso talks about the tension between the strides made by and for trans people and the anti-trans legislation cropping up in state governments, including the Nebraska Unicameral. He shares his efforts to foster community in Omaha, including with the website Speaking of Happy, an online platform for LGBTQ plus Nebraskans to share their stories. Stay tuned for our conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. Eli Rigatuso was born and raised in Omaha and has more than 30 years of experience as an artist, photographer, and videographer. He's also an activist who has spent decades fighting for civil rights in Nebraska. He helped found Heartland Pride in 2010 and serves on Mayor Stothert's LGBTQ advisory board. More recently, Rigatuso founded Frankly Speaking, a virtual show he hosts with Avalisa Ellicott, where they have conversations with other transgender folks. He is also a board member of Omaha For Us, a nonprofit founded in 2021 to service and create space for queer and trans residents of eastern Nebraska and western Iowa. Here is my conversation with Eli Rigatuso. So as a two-spirited trans man, talk to me about the proper way to have conversations about your experiences and your identities from your point of view. I understand that it's not a monolith and that people are different. But uh, for people who haven't been exposed or met trans people out in person and public, where where do they start with uh, respecting people's boundaries, but also, you know, being curious, because I think the way to overcome um, preconceived ideas is to really have that one-on-one experience. So I'm curious what your what your view is on that. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you asked that because the truth of the matter is this. I appreciate that someone wants to learn and has a genuine desire to learn. So I'll make myself available for questions that they may have. But I think it's important to understand that for me, questions about my identities kind of fall under the same category that if I'm going to be physically intimate with you, you got to ask consent. That's the start, right? I mean, we could all benefit from from thinking in terms of that just in everyday life. Like we don't ask for consent enough. We just make assumptions. We make assumptions because I'm in a relationship with you in some manner, way, shape or form that I can just launch off and start asking you a bunch of questions. No. I mean, whether it be by text or by message or you call me, which most people don't because we don't even use the telephones anymore, (laughs) right? It's all about text and email. But it's asking, do you have the bandwidth? And what's beautiful is other trans folks, when they message me and ask me for support, that's always the first question. Do you have the bandwidth to have a conversation with me today? I'm really struggling or I've got this going on and I just need a sounding board. And then at that point, I get to choose. And that's what I think is so important when it comes to that. I'm an open book. I'll tell you whatever. And I always tell people, like, there's no question that's off limits. But you have to understand, you may not like the answers. You identify as a queer transmasculine two-spirit of the Menominee Nation, Walk us through those different parts of what makes up Eli Rigatuso so we can get a good grasp of where you're coming from here today. Yeah, you know what? I really love that because I introduce myself that way on purpose. Anytime I speak, anytime I do a training, I introduce myself that way on purpose. And I always say, if any of that is confusing to you, you're in the right place, right? Because <laughs> I'm here to drop some knowledge. I'm here to share some information. You know, I was born assigned female, At a very young age, I told my parents that I was something other than the girl that they thought I was. Back then in the early 70s, that was not a conversation that we were going to have because guess what? Back then, they could have actually had me committed. Now, my parents thought I was pretty intelligent 
And they're like, this can't, like, we can't let that happen. So it just kind of got suppressed, right? Well, then I started to realize that not only that was going on for me, and I actually kind of shut that off as well because it was kind of a like, we aren't going to talk about this. But I also knew at a young age that I was attracted to folks who were feminine, right? At that time, the only language that I had was girls and boys. So I was attracted to girls, but God forbid I tell anybody that because that was another thing that we don't talk about. So I carried that for a number of years. Well, when I did finally, at the tender age of 50 in 2015, (laughs) so tender. Yes, very tender, come out as trans is when I started to realize, like, I started to ask myself questions, right? It's like, okay, so I say that I'm attracted to folks who are feminine presenting. Does that mean I would date a trans woman, right? Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about that. And I was like, well, why wouldn't I date a trans woman, right? And it was like, when I started thinking about it, I was like, if I am just like dissolving her down to her body parts, that's so unfair, And so that's where queer came in, because I am someone who is something other than that thing called straight, right, that that like everybody thinks I'm just I'm not that. And I'm not that because I also am still quite frequently misgendered after estrogen had 50 years and had its way with my body. There are some things that just don't change. Right. There's no amount of hormone injections of testosterone that I can take that are going to really alter that. There's also that is such a complex conversation because hormones work differently with different people, too. Right. Plus, I'm Native American. So the way that my facial hair grows in is also very much typical of how a Native man's hair would grow in. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like I didn't even really start to think about some of these conversations until I started grappling with what is my gender identity? And then why did we have to call it this? Then why did we collapse gender identity with our genitals like they're completely separate? And so most people don't even think about these things. Most cisgender people never think about it. So that's why it's like all of those things mean something important to me. Now, I'm two-spirit because I am Native American. Yeah, so talk to me about that for folks who don't know what two-spirit means. Yes. I love it because this is what it means to me. My Menominee Nation does hold folks who are LGBTQ+. All of us are seen as a blessing. If someone like me is born into a family your whole family's considered blessed, right? We were held in high regard decades ago. And and again, so in my particular Menominee Nation, right, it's not uncommon for me as someone who is born assigned female to then express as male and be seen as male and be honored as such. Now, that's my outward expression of my gender identity. Intrinsically, What I've landed on is that I am equally masculine and feminine. I am equally both and, and at times, neither. Like, I can very much relate to, like, why are we even bringing gender up at this point during this particular conversation? Not this one, but just out in life. Because it's unimportant. But it's because we've all been led to believe that those conversations are important. And those gendered conversations actually have a negative impact on everyone. Tell me what you mean by that. What negative impact? You know, look at the negative impacts of the way that women have been treated historically over time. That then carries into negative impacts for people who are uh, part of the LGBTQ plus community. If you're a trans woman, there are even larger impacts. If you are a black trans woman, there are even larger impacts. I mean, they're being murdered at the highest rates across the nation, across the world, simply for being who they are. And so it's like, I, I just, you know, it's like when we have conversations around abortion, for example, you know, that does impact me as a person who has the inside workings of someone who can bear a child. 
they're just body parts. And so it's like, when I talk about why I'm a stand for women to have the right to choose what they want to do with their bodies, when I talk about impact, if you don't get the right to choose about your body as a trans person, I don't either. The minute you begin to legislate one group of people, you start to see a ripple effect. And that's happening in our state legislature now. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot to unpack. And most people don't even even scratch the surface of some of the things that I've shared in regard to gender and gender identity and gender expression and sex, uh, sex assigned at birth and sexual orientation and and this, the fact that all of that is like separate and distinct from one another. Most people, the minute you say you're transgender and people will say things to me like, well, love is love. And I'm like, well, that's a whole completely separate conversation. But there are still so many people who just they have it collapsed. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with artist and LGBTQ plus activist Eli Rigatuso. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram Or you can call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. I found out about Two-Spirit around the same time I was doing research about the Philippine tribes and how they accept queer people um, or people who don't identify as the sex they were born with. And what I loved about my research when I found out was that The people in the tribes who could perfectly balance both feminine and masculine energy were the ones that were seen as shamans and the holiest ones of the tribe, like Mm. you were saying. Mm. You know, and I say those things and I think to myself, like, to me, it's just something known. And it's not like it's interesting because I'll have conversations with people and I'll point things out and they'll go, wow, I never thought of it that way. And I know that it's a gift and it's a gift that I've carried my whole life. You know, when I was younger, my mom used to come to me and she would ask me things like I can remember being seven or eight years old playing jacks in my room and she would walk in and sit down and she would tell me a scenario about something she was dealing with at work. And then she would ask me what I thought. And I would stop and I would look at her and I'd say, it sounds like you need to do, and I would say something. And she would go away and then she would come back later, you know, a week later, a couple weeks later and thank me. And she basically used to call me her prophet. And I know that is, that is a gift that I was given through my DNA. Like, if only I could find out, you know, that string of people that I come from, from that side. And I've done a lot of research um, and know I can go pretty far back um, about who our people were. But I would like I would give anything to be able to go back 150, 200 years and be able to live on the plains with my people and just be. So tell me about how you feel your role is in advocating for the LGBTQ plus community. Well, I'll tell you, (laughs) it's something I have done for decades. Like I have been doing this work. Um, I can remember another incident where I was asked to speak at a local radio station uh, back when it was Sweet 98. So (laughs) 98.5 back in the Sweet 98 days. And I was invited to come into a morning show and do an interview. And at that point, it was very feminine presenting. I was an outspoken lesbian, right? And um, and I was pretty hot. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was like kind of like I was the um, the exception, not the rule, right? Because when everybody thought of lesbians, the only thing they thought was butch lesbians. Like all the lesbians had to be butch or they weren't really lesbians. So I had to kind of laugh about that. But anyway, I was ultra feminine and I was invited to speak there and my mom says to me because at the time they were they had their studio and it was all like you could see the DJ through the windows and I'm dating myself because that's long gone I mean that's building still exists but anyway my mom was like I I'm afraid for you to go do this talk 
like to go be on the radio? Like, how do I know something isn't going to happen to you? And I said, Mom, I'll be honest, me being who I am, the risks are high. That's before even coming out as trans. Like, the risks are high anywhere I go when I'm speaking up and speaking out. But I know you, Mom. And I know if anything were ever to happen to me, that you would pick up the torch and you would continue to carry it forward. And so it's like kind of an interesting conversation to be having. And I mean, I'm talking about this is like the 80s, like late 80s, early 90s. And the, the atmosphere now is so much more volatile. And I think about that all the time. Like any time that I hear about another trans woman who's been murdered, I think about all of the beautiful, creative, talented, extraordinary trans women I know. And I, I would be devastated to lose any one of them, let alone every time I hear about someone else who has, who's had their life taken from them in such a horrible way. Um, it just breaks my heart. So, you know, I, I think, I mean, I was born in 1965 at the height of civil unrest. I'm sure my mom was watching the news. And I just, I mean, I came out probably with a sign that said, resist. You've been resisting. I love it. Yeah, I've been advocating since I walked out of the womb, I think. Yeah, I love that. So when, where did you get started in the community here in Omaha? When did you kind of really start to pick up the physical sign and well, start I'll tell resisting? You, that was in the early 90s again. I was going to school at UNO. Um, actually, it was kind of a funny story because I was working at KBLZ, which is the campus radio station. I was the program director, so I helped pick music. And... Um, that was kind of the foray into like me starting to dip my toe in like I hadn't even really fully come out to my parents yet but I was like you know I gotta I'm, I'm going down this path I need to start doing this I had gotten sober early like 1987 1988 um, because I just knew I was heading down a path that was not there was like no turning back um, and I knew what I was drinking over. I just wasn't ready to, like, uncover that truth. That would take another number of decades later. But I was sitting in a sociology class, and uh, Shireen Bingham, who I think still teaches at UNO, but I'm not sure, uh, we were having a conversation, and they were talking about LGBTQ issues. Everybody was talking as though there were no people from the community in the room. They were saying some, like, really gross things. Like, it just was just – it just felt yucky. And this is the early 90s, mind you. Like, there weren't a whole lot of real, you know, outspoken advocates here living in Omaha. And I was like, no. No, I raised my hand. I was so mad. I came out in that class that day and I said, look, this has got to stop. Y'all got to pull your heads out of your collective hind ends because we are here. <laughs> and all of them are like shocked. They're like, what? Looking at me again. It was that whole thing. Like, what do you think? Lesbians are only ugly people? Like, what is the deal? <laughs> like, lesbians only have to be like short hair, butch, non-makeup. Like, it was so gross to me that that's what people thought. And I have like situation after situation after situation. But anyway, so the early 90s, we were there was a group of us that was like we had the first um, national coming out day at UNO in the early 90s. I DJ DJed the event. That's so there fun. was like a number of other things that were happening. There were groups. Um, I can't think of CFEP. Citizens for Equal Protection. There was a group of my friends that organized that and did a ton of advocating um, for our rights as, as LGBTQ plus people. Um, I was part of the campaign against 416, which was actually the uh, bill that went into effect that that put marriages between one man and one woman in our constitution, which, by the way, is still in that constitution. There is a bill, I believe, that Megan Hunt brought forward to get that removed. Take <laughs> us back to 2000 when that Nebraska Initiative 416, when it was introduced, what you kind of gave us a little glimpse of what that initiative was. So talk to us about like what was it like 
before that was put into place? And then what was it like after? Well, you know, what's so interesting is, is if you think about the ways in which people uh, operated around people in the community, it was always a don't ask, don't tell. It wasn't just military focused. It was just like a, like, look, live your life, be who you are, whatever, like, just we don't need to see it kind of a thing, right? And so when that happened and that initi- initiative was brought forward by Gyla Mills, I'll never forget that woman's name because she was just a horrible human. She still is. Um, living in California. She doesn't even live here anymore. Bunch of money, like like we've seen this happen over and over and over again. Bunch of money came from out of state to push this initiative through. We fought, and the thing about it was is the terminology on the bill when it went to vote was so confusing. Like, we were going door to door and trying to explain to people, no, 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 you have to oppose it. And they were like, no, but I I have relatives who are. I want them to be able to marry. And it's like, yes, we do too, we but the language. <laughs> so that's the other piece of it. It's like we have to be real careful when we're thinking about bills and stuff like that. But I worked on that campaign. You know, that was my first time to like officially be working on a campaign. And I mean, I've done all kinds of other stuff. I mean, I came out to my family when I was relatively young. Um, that was the first piece. I I actually had to like back off from my family for a while till they kind of like got their collective poop in a group so that they weren't <laughs> so they weren't doing some of the things that they were doing but like I had to do it like my life literally depended on it and after I came out in that class like I started just like I don't even care now my family knows I don't even care and I was sharing who I was openly pretty much everywhere I went I left jobs that became volatile because I was someone who is an outspoken advocate you know I tried to find places where I could go work where people were a little bit more open-minded I mean the restaurant industry was really great I waited tables to put myself through college and there was myself and my good buddy Stephen um, who was gay and he and I were just I mean, palled around all the time and we worked at the garden cafe and we just did all kinds of stuff advocacy wise. I mean, I wasn't a big partier anymore. Like I stopped doing all that. And so I was looking for ways to be able to advocate for our community in the best ways that I could. And I was doing it literally every day in every space that I walked into. And I still, to this day, do that. I mean, I was the first person to come out as trans at Bellevue University, and it wasn't, it was not an easy go. So, I mean, it like I said, it is a part, of, it's in my DNA for me to stand up and say, or speak out and say, this is wrong. This is not how we should be doing things. I was reading about that initiative, 416. And so do you think that the 70 percent of Nebraskans who voted no on that initiative, that some of it could have been because of the language? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because I was shocked at that number. We believed that. And and they have been hanging on to that number, like the governor even hung on to that number because we've been trying to get that change still. And I know that there's been groups that have been trying to get that changed. We've been trying to get uh, uh, non-discrimination policies in place so that folks cannot discriminate. Like, I cannot be fired for being LGBTQ+. Like, we still... Now, in Omaha, you can't. Like, in Omaha, if someone fires you for being LGBTQ+, and they tell you that's why they're getting rid of you, you got a lawsuit. <laughs> so there's, you know, the Human Rights and Relations uh, Board at the the city of Omaha, because we have a non-discrimination policy that has cannot discriminate based on sexual orientation, gender, gender identity or gender expression. All four of those things written into it. Now, if That's you great. if you live in Lincoln and you get fired for being LGBTQ, there isn't protection. And there's so many things that I mean, we could talk for hours about some of the missteps and foibles that have happened in regard to trying to get legislation passed. I mean, we live in a red state. I'm talking with artist and LGBTQ plus activist, Eli Rigatuso, local creative and activist in Omaha's queer community. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break.
Welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. You can subscribe and hear previous episodes of this show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. Today, I'm talking with Eli Rigatuso, an LGBTQ plus activist and organizer who founded the story sharing platform Speaking of Happy. Here is the rest of our conversation. In 2015, the United States legalized gay marriage across all of the states. So what was that change like here in Nebraska? You know, I'll tell you what. There were some friends of mine and I who went to one of the bars downtown to, like, wait for the announcement kind of a thing. And and it was huge because many of us had been advocating for it for so long. I think we saw shifts, but again, in some of the fringe places— There were still folks, because it's just the way it's going to be, there are still folks who are sitting in some government positions where, you know, marriage licenses get signed and that sort of thing, where they're under the impression that somehow it's still not an okay thing. That's the problem. And the other thing is, is that there are so many people like once equal marriage passed, Everybody thought, oh, okay, the gays are taken care of now. And it's like, no, that's like just one more step towards true equity. And so, you know, while there was great celebration, it was a beautiful thing to have happen. I think that even within the community, there is some some follow-up that's missing. I know it was probably in 2016, there was a bill that was brought forth, I believe, by Patty Pansingbrooks. So I believe in either 2016, 2017, maybe 2018, somewhere in there, Patty brought forth a bill to try to bring non-discrimination, like add us to Nebraska's state non-discrimination. And that was interesting because also there was a bill that was being trying to be passed in that we were for about not it had to do with I think removing the whole panic defense thing and it was something very specific as it as it related to transgender people but I thought it was very interesting the line for the other bill was huge the only people that spoke on the bill about transgender issues There was like three people who were all trans and a whole bunch of people on the opposite side who were speaking in opposition of it, but speaking from a very uneducated perspective about it. And that's what I think. That's why I say if you have the questions and you answer them in a way that isn't offense or you ask them in a way that isn't offensive and you ask for my consent prior to asking the question, I'll answer it for you because I want you to have the right answer. But then if you start disputing it, like there, I have to draw a line when you start to think that my humanity is actually up for debate because who I am as a person isn't. Neither is my gender identity. It isn't debatable. Like if you tell me these are my pronouns, this is who I am, I'm going to honor you for that. And I don't know why it's so hard. Like name changes are so hard when it comes to trans people, but like People get married and change their last names all the time. One of my sisters started going by a different name and and like people just picked up and started calling her that name. My mom went by Betty for many, many years and then she changed it to Liz and everybody just boom, everybody just called her Liz, right? Nobody threw a fit. Nobody are like, why are you doing that? But it's like when it comes to trans people, it becomes this big issue. And I just, it's just such a hot button issue. And I get it because we're all under this impression that there are only two genders. And I mean, I've even had people say to me, God, I can't wrap my head around this. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. It is all in your head. (laughs) (laughs) It's not wrapping. You've also helped found the mayor's LGBTQ plus committee here in Omaha. Tell me what that was like taking your community's concerns directly to the city. And what is that role? Wow. You know what? Um, It was interesting because I was still so I was also one of the founders of Heartland Pride, which is the local organization 501c3. So when Stothert got elected, 
we had had previous mayors who like, hey, we're going to give you your uh, proclamation and declare June Pride Month and all this other stuff and easily got those things. And we were all concerned that when she took over, because where she came from was not necessarily friendly, right? She was on the city council. She voted against the non-discrimination ordinance. Well, what was interesting, though, so first of all, I find out that her communications person is someone that I worked with in the early 90s at Channel 3. So I called and I said, hey, I need to have a conversation with you because this mayor coming in is not a friendly mayor when it comes to my community. What I didn't know is there was another person, my friend Christina Ariano, who I adore. Christina also knew the communications per- person and was reaching out at right about the same time. <laughs> and so like as Kismet would have it, the communications person, Carrie Murphy, was like, well, I just talked to Christina and yes, okay. And so like it was kind of born out of like the two of us reaching out and just saying, hey, we need to talk to our mayor. She's the Omaha mayor. That means she's a mayor for everybody, right? And so she needs to know that we're here and she needs to understand our needs. There were five of us that were invited and we each got to bring a guest. And so all of us got together. We had a meeting with the mayor and she was like, yep, let's do it. Let's get this committee started. And basically, you know, I will say this much because we've gone through lots of different changes and There are times when, you know, we feel like, okay, we're making some headway. And then there are times when we feel like uh, we're still kind of pounding our heads against the wall. Um, Because, I mean, when you boil it down, she is a conservative. She does talk a good talk. And there are times when it's like, wow, she does exactly the right thing. But there are still times when I think, you know, like for me, for example, When I came out as trans and started transitioning, she was still using the wrong pronouns for me. And I kept having to call her out in meetings. And, you know, the good news is, is Carrie is super supportive. And so she'll push things, you know, onto her desk and get them in her purview. She wrote a letter to the Nebraska legislature about that non-discrimination policy for the state. She Carrie? No, the mayor. The mayor. Awesome. In support of having Nebraska as a state and used Omaha as an example. Like, this is what has happened. This is what we did here. Yes, this should absolutely be something happening at a state level. So, like, the good news is, is, like, we've built some bridges. That's why I love that so much. It's like building bridges and doing what we can, knowing when we need to cut our losses, knowing when we need to let go. But at this point... She's done a lot of really positive things as it relates to our community, things, changes that have been made at the the department. I think it's HRR department within the city. Like all of those positive changes have come from us saying, you know, she's like, hey, she goes, I pulled the numbers. You know, we have this non-discrimination policy, but nobody's actually filed a complaint And we're like, do you wonder why that is? And she's like, well, yeah. And we said, most people don't want to say it out of fear of retaliation. Some people didn't understand that it was even that they could even go to the city and say, hey, I work for, you know, Joe Bob's lawn care service and they're not treating me right. They didn't realize that they could actually go and file a complaint with the city of Omaha. And that they would then review that complaint. So we started doing some more educating. Like there's a lot of things that we've done um, that most people think, like it's funny because people will approach us and be like, well, I think X, Y, Z. And we're like, we've already done that. We'll do more and we're here and keep bringing those ideas to us. But it's like most people don't even understand that we're there still. And but we are. Uh, I want to talk about one of your newer projects, Omaha for Us. Um, I'm so excited uh, after looking at the website, but I'm curious what sort of resources will be offered at this new LGBTQ plus center? Uh, My gosh, it's so fun because I just literally came from the space that we rented. So we have a space. More about that coming. 
Um, but we are going to have all kinds of wraparound services. There's going to be services for the youth to be able to come in and hang out, play games, have a space to like be at that's not, I hate to use the word safe space because there really aren't any safe spaces. There are spaces where we can be and we can gather and we can be open to be ourselves, but I don't ever really think spaces are safe. Anyway, (laughs) long story. Um, We are going to have counseling services. We are uh, bringing in Transstition, which is a clothing closet for transgender folks, more specifically, because they get to come in and shop for free. But we're bringing them into the space so that they can expand their hours because they've only got certain hours by appointment right now. So we're really excited about that. We're bringing in other organizations to be able to come in and kind of co-locate and have office space or desk space and then be able to have use of conference rooms. So a shared space in that regard, Um, access to mental health and uh, medical care services, like just a plethora of things that You know, we've envisioned that was one of the things that we actually even brought up to the current mayor um, that we need an LGBTQ plus resource center. And what was really great is, is she's 100 percent behind the project and has helped us find funding for in different cases. So, I mean, the current executive director, who is John Carl Dankovich, an amazing human being, they are rocking it out as executive director and finding and securing a space. Uh, finding funding for different things. I mean, it's just, it's going to be beautiful. So I was reading the belief statement and it said, every day through place-based community development, we build intentional community and create equitable space because there can be nothing about us without us. And I want to ask you from your perspective, what does place-based community development mean? You know, from my personal perspective, like being able to come somewhere and learn about aspects of the community that you may not have understood before. And being able to like, hopefully, along with having the space, right, to come together and organize, advocate, but then also play and, uh, you know, have creative uh, endeavors. We're hoping to do some workshops around art, bringing in LGBTQ plus artists to maybe do workshops and and those types of things. So like a space that we don't necessarily have any place else that is by and for folks in the community. So uh, in the future, where can people get updates on the progress of the center? Well, I would go to um, Omaha for Us on Facebook. That's where the most recent stuff will be. But I also know that we have our website, I believe, is up and live now, um, omahaforus.org. And, I mean, just keep an eye, especially on the Facebook page, Instagram. I know we're out on Instagram as well. Yeah. And keep an eye out on those different things. Hopefully, we'll uh, be able to expedite this, uh, getting settled in and bringing the space together. I mean, there's furniture right now. It's completely empty, and there's some changes that need to be made to the actual inside of the building that we ended up going with, and it's a space that we're renting. But it's really – it's a really cool space, though, like – and yeah. to do a little plug for you, if you're looking to donate your old clothes to all our listeners, you can donate to Transstitchin. Yes, absolutely. Transstitchin, though, right now, they're not in that building yet. They are still, they have their own location. But if you look for them online, you can actually call them and they'll set up a time or tell you when they'll be in their location where you can come and donate clothes. They have gotten so many donations, though, have they? that they've at times had to, like, turn people away. So I have seen that. Yes. So just FYI, if you have things and you're looking for a place, you could actually go to, and I always forget the name of it, but there's a little thrift shop in Benson. It's on the east end of Benson, but they take everything as well. And they provide support for youth emergency services and youth emergency services does a lot for LGBTQ plus youth. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with artist and LGBTQ plus activist Eli Rigatuso. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. 
or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. Let's get into Speaking of Happy, which is an online space you've created to share stories of people here in the Midwest who identify uh, within the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, why is it important to, for you to help share those stories? Well, I think that as a storyteller myself, right, it's part of my indigenous self, <laughs> I've always been a storyteller. And people have always said to me, like, I love listening to you share stories because you're so captivating. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just sharing stories. Um, but there are lessons to learn in some of those stories. So, you know, I started speaking of happy back in like 2008, 2009, because I wanted to put the word happy back into the word gay. One of the first people that I interviewed, though, was a trans man that I got connected with through some various different people. And at that point, right, I wasn't ready yet to share who I was. And it wasn't until I came out as trans that I was like, oh, my God, ding, 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 ding. Now I know why, because like I saw myself and some of the things that he was sharing at that point. And so it started to make all those connections for me. So now what, what's happened with Speaking of Happy is that a lot of times people will say to me like, hey, Eli, will you a answer this question for me? I'm like, I'd be happy to. <laughs> and, and so that's kind of where it's evolved to now is that Speaking of Happy is like, I want to be able to have fun conversations around talking about my identities more specifically and elevating knowledge and awareness and sharing about who we are as extraordinary human beings who are so talented and creative and brilliant. Um, there's over 100 bills across the United States right now, um, but specifically in Nebraska, there is LB 574 and LB 575. Let's first start with LB 574, which is the Let Them Grow bill, which would ban gender affirming care for those under the age of 19. So, I mean, you commented earlier in our conversation about how when you were a child, you knew there was something a little different about you, that you liked girls. And so talk to me about what effect this could have on the ch transgender children in our state. Well, you know, what's sad is the folks who propose this legislation are listening to junk science. They're not, I mean, they're claiming that, they're, that not enough research has been done. And there's actually been a plethora of research that's already been done about uh, hormone suppressors. They're leading people to believe that young trans people are having surgeries before, like when they're way too young. Well, they don't even start to have surgeries until they get to the age of consent, which is 18 or 19, depending upon where you live. And the truth of the matter is, is that there are so many hoops that trans folks have to jump through to get medical care. It's not like they're just doling these things out haphazardly to folks. And that's the problem. You know, there is tons of research that states that if young trans folks are allowed to uh, express who they are, and this is just an expression, this is not about even suppressors or anything, but to be able to dress in the gender that they identify with and that they align with, that they their risk of suicide drops by 40%. And so like this is this bill could have devastating impacts because not only are they saying they want to restrict uh, the rights of parents with trans kids, which is an irony to me because they say when it comes to talking about what your kids can be learn in school about around sex, they say, no, 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 we parents will take care of that. But yet over here, you're saying, no, we need to have more laws that prevent parents of trans kids from being able to access the care that they need so that their kids can lead productive, healthy lives. They cherry pick the folks who have detransitioned or who are were dissatisfied with their transition for whatever reason. It's like one or two people that they prop up and say, look, this person wasn't given, you know, informed consent. And I'm like, my doctor spent two hours with me. 
went through a whole long list of things and the impacts. This is me at 50. My head was spinning when I left. And then she was like, do you have any other questions? And I'm like, you know, I'm going to take this home. I'm going to read it. When I come see you next week, I'll be sure to write my questions down and we'll talk again. And so it's like we had a number of conversations. I had to go through tests blood work, all kinds of other things before she even wrote a prescription for hormones for me. And that saved my life because I had lived 50 years expressing myself in a way to make you all comfortable while I died inside. And they keep saying they'll change their mind. They'll change. No, I did not change my mind for 50 years. I did not change my mind about who I knew myself to be in my head and in my heart. So I don't understand why. No, I do understand. It's very specific. They're attacking trans youth for a reason because they really don't want them to be alive. So let's talk about pro-life. They're not really pro-life if they think it's okay for these trans kids to actually die because they don't have access to the health care they need. Uh, which brings me into LB575, which is the Let Them Play bill, which would limit sports and bathrooms by a person's biological sex at birth. So it's that same expression. You know, again, so they have sexual orientation and gender identity collapsed because right away when they think of trans folks, they think of perversion, all these other things when it's just like that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, what do they think these young uh, grade school age kiddos are doing things in the bathroom with other? No, they're actually just wanting to go to the bathroom. And so I just find it interesting. It's like there's these worries about how trans girls are going to have advantages over girls who are born and, and, and are cisgender when that actually isn't even true. And there's science around that as well. Now, there are folks who have advantages, right? But what do we do to them? Castor Semenya, for example, was born with a body that is like all of the things line up for her to be fast. And what did we do? We stripped her of her awards and said, unless you're willing to go through a test about your testosterone levels, you cannot participate. We don't do that when you have like a Michael Phelps who's swimming like a, you know, crazy and beating all these other. We don't say to him, nope, you need to prove to us that, you know, that your testosterone levels aren't too high for you to compete in this sport. It's it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. It's like we aren't even human somehow. That there has to be specific bills about your experience, right. your, your day-to-day life. Yes. That young trans kids should somehow not deserve to be able to participate in sports because of their gender identity or that they shouldn't be able to go into a bathroom that they that aligns with their gender identity because you think they're going in there for some sort of nefarious reason? Yeah, I think I was listening to one of your frankly speaking videos and one of your guests had said, you know, I go into one bathroom and I get physically beat up and then I go into the other bathroom and I get security called. Yeah. And here's the other irony. Like, I've been saying this even, you know, way before I came out as trans. Like, we don't have gendered bathrooms in our homes. And I did a little research around why we have gendered bathrooms. They did it because women who were only working out of the home, because remember, the women were the homemakers and the men were the breadwinners. Well, when women started going out of the home for work, men were like, women can't go in these disgusting water closets that we go in. They had to make the bathrooms pretty like the bathrooms at home because, God forbid, a woman soil herself in the... You think any of those women probably would have cared? Probably not. But I also think it kind of speaks to, you know, a grosser truth about men. 
<laughs> that they that they wouldn't have created nicer bathrooms for themselves yeah. out in the working world. I mean, come on now. It's like these conversations are are all fear tactics. You know, I've met so many young trans kiddos. You know what? They want to read their books. They want to color. They want to do everything that that cisgender kids want to do. I mean, I just picked up a book. I haven't started reading it yet, but it's it's uh, you're in the wrong bathroom. Twenty myths debunked about trans folks, and I think I can't wait to read it. I actually just it just got delivered a couple weeks ago, and I just haven't had a chance to pull it out. Maybe I need to just kind of like take it piecemeal at a time. <laughs> I don't know, but I just think it's in, important to understand that all of these things are truly grounded in myths. And we need to, as a society, like I need y'all who are cisgender, who are out there listening to this, to understand we are not here to hurt you. As a matter of fact, we're here advocating for all of our lives to be better. Like that's why we're here. I'm here to impact the world in a way that like when I end up taking my last breath. I want it to feel as though I was racing the whole time in my life. And trust me when I say I am. But I do it because I know that people deep down inside really want to do the right thing. I really believe in humanity. It's hard sometimes, especially this time of year. It's hard to believe that they're, that people really do care about other people. Then there are times when I say I hate people, but I really don't like just for the moment, just for the moment like when I'm driving. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are your hopes for the future of the LGBTQ plus community here in Nebraska? My hopes for the future for the LGBTQ plus community here in Nebraska is that we have true equity. We don't have to worry about losing our jobs, that we are treated with dignity and respect and honored for the brilliant creative beings that we are thank you so much for being here with me today eli and you can find eli uh, at speaking of happy and yep. where else speaking of you can find me on youtube you can find me on facebook instagram i will be honest i don't have a whole bunch of time for <laughs> for social media stuff anymore but if you want to watch previous episodes of Frankly Speaking or Speaking of Happy, you can go out to my Facebook page, click on videos. You can watch all of the old episodes. we got some really great interviews out there. And we're hoping to do a whole bunch more interviews coming up this year. We're still in the planning phases. So, Thank you so much, Eli. Thank you so much for having me. I, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Oh, so have I. Riverside Chats was created by Tom Noblock and is a production of 91.5 KIOS Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, you can find the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. I'm Maria Corpus. <laughs>